there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriate in the Culture. On today's episode, we discuss the selection of music and worship and the feminization of the church. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be your manly man today as we appropriate some culture. One of the issues that has consistently divided the church through history is the use of music, and that tradition continues with many forceful and strong opinions on lyrics, keys, and even songwriters. On Sunday morning, when churches put these lyrics up on the screen, and the unsuspecting person sitting out there in the pew, reading the lyrics, singing the lyrics, and then they see in the fine print at the bottom, copyright, Bethel. copyright Bethel music, copyright Hillsong, and let's throw in elevation music with that as well, Stephen Furtick. So when they, when they see the fine print, they think, oh, Bethel, oh, Hillsong, I, I think I'll check them out. They must be okay, we're singing their music. And so they use their music as a hook to pull unsuspecting people into their false theological system. Yes, that's also why I removed A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. The song seems fine in and of itself, but then you find out that it's written by Martin Luther, which you think would be safe, but then you go down that rabbit hole and the next thing you know they're reading on the Jews and their lies. And the unsuspecting person is going to be pulled in, and they'll start advocating to burn Jewish schools and synagogues and raising and destroying Jewish homes to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom so that God might see that we are Christians. Like Martin Luther said, See, the problem with its reasoning, if one could call it reasoning, is that it wants to appear discerning but makes absolutely no attempt at discernment. It doesn't discern between art and artist. It doesn't discern between theology in the particular and theology in the whole. And essentially, it makes the absurd contention that if we don't agree on everything, that we can't agree on some things. Both Christians and Jews use the Psalms in worship. That doesn't make the Psalms a gateway to rejecting Christ. See, true discernment involves, you know, discerning. I can agree with some of Martin Luther's writings without agreeing with all of Martin Luther's writings. I can agree with some Jewish thought without agreeing with all of Jewish thought. I can agree with some of Hillsong without agreeing with all of Hillsong. Wantonly rejecting all of it is to engage in some form of genetic fallacy and teaches your congregation to not be discerning. And I think many pastors act like their goal is to shield people rather than to grow them into maturity. But here's what the Bible says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Maturity is what keeps you from being blown here and there by every wind of teaching. If week after week on a Sunday your congregation is hearing strong, solid, theological teaching grounded in scripture, but then they can be swayed by a watermark, then I'm not really convinced that they've been hearing strong theological teaching. My suspicion is you're shielding them, not teaching them. And this doesn't just relate to Christian music, but also the broader culture as well, where our bent is shield. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't read that. Don't look at that. But that's not how we mature. To learn how to be discerning, you have to be put in a position to discern. 
And there are dangers in that. I'm not suggesting there aren't. If you go into the water, there are dangers. You could get swept up in the current. You could drown. But to mitigate against that, you can either never set foot in water or you can be taught how to swim. Too much of the church is raising people to not know how to swim, and I think that's far more dangerous. Immunization is better than quarantine. Learn how to think. Learn how to discern. Otherwise, you will get swept up by a watermark. But the problem is not just the authors of the songs, but the kind of songs too. They're too feminine. That's becoming a common critique like this. One reason why the men in the local church prefer mumbling instead of singing is because of the feminization of church worship music that isn't designed for corporate worship. Men should lead in robust singing on the Lord's Day. Churches? Why don't men want to attend church? Churches. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Jesus is my boyfriend worship music. Men are only servant leaders. Pastors bash men and praise women. Worship music is five keys too high. Okay, so I'm a little sympathetic here. Christianity is a religion. We have obligations and duties and doctrine, and I don't like diminishing that. However, it is also perfectly clear that God is relational, and he speaks to us in relational terms. Father and sons and daughters. He relates idolatry with adultery. And no, Jesus is not your boyfriend. He's your husband or your betrothed. That's actually the language of scripture. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. That's the language that God gives to us to picture a certain aspect of our relationship with him. And it's not as if the Bible's songbook isn't effusive with love language. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We are commanded to love the Lord our God, and worship is an expression of that love, so it seems somewhat natural that our songs of worship would have some love language. And it's simply not the case that love songs are inherently effeminate. We don't feel that way when it comes to secular music. At least half the songs are about love, falling in love, falling out of love. There's no shortage of men singing about love, and men are not actually repulsed by that. So if it's perfectly masculine to sing love songs about a girl, why is it feminine to sing love songs about God? And that's true of the keys as well. Yes, most of the worship songs are too high for most men, doesn't fit perfectly comfortable in our range, but that's also true of most of the music industry. Most men are not tenors, but if you do a comprehensive study on this, you'll find that most male singers, certainly in pop music, are tenors. Brian Adams, Mark Anthony, Billy Joe Armstrong, Fred Astaire, Tony Bennett, Justin Bieber, Michael Bolton, John Bon Jovi, Bono, Chris Brown, Bo Berman, Phil Collins, John Denver, Ben Folds, Peter Gabriel, Art Garfunkel, Boy George, Buddy Holly, Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, Elton John, Joe Jonas, Nick Jonas, Meatloaf, Kenny Loggins, Bob Marley, Bruno Mars, Ricky Martin, Paul McCartney, Freddie Mercury, Ozzy Osbourne, Tom Petty, Philip Phillips, Lionel Richie, Little Richard, Damian Rice, Sting, Rod Stewart, James Taylor, Neil Young, Stevie Wonder. Look, I'm a baritone, which is the most common range, 
and I can comfortably sing Jack Johnson and Marcy Playground, and that's about it. Everything else gets a little high at times. Now look, I do think a broader category of worship songs would be somewhat welcome. I wouldn't mind a few more tunes about God's wrath and possibly imploring him to smite our enemies, but there is something inherently emasculating in worship. I don't care how big and tough and strong and what an alpha man you are in the world. When it comes to the Almighty, you're kind of a beta, at best. And there is something humbling in acknowledging your sovereign. And so then the very posture of worship can be, or straight up is, wounding to the pride of a man. But if your primary concern in worship is whether or not it validates you or affirms you, then you're doing worship wrong. True worship shouldn't be focused on you at all. As the warrior poet David said to his wife when she was humiliated by his dancing and his worship, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Yeah, I think that's a more manly response to worship than whining about the song selection. All right, that'll do for today. If you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, tell a friend, buy my latest book, Six Rounds for the Witching Hour. The link to that is in the show notes. Join my author's Facebook page, follow me on the socials, and I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. (laughs) 